everyone. Welcome to Backstory Sessions. I'm your host, Matt. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, everybody. It's Pat, and I want to welcome you to this episode of Backstory Sessions. I'm joined today by my co-host, Matt. Hey, Matt. Hey, Kat. Hey, everyone. How are you? This season, Matt, has been, I I feel like, so exciting so far. I mean, we kicked off with rock and roll, and, um, you know, then we went into the kind of now the nostalgic TV shows that we grew up with. Uh, So I just find it really exciting this season so far. Yeah, it's been great, of course. Well, uh, not only nostalgic, but we have the OG Mean Girl, uh, <laughs> Nellie Olson. Yeah, yeah. From Little House, yeah. Uh, did you watch that show a lot? I did watch that. Uh, you know, my dad's favorite was the Waltons, but I would say a close second. Um would have been Little House on the Prairie. Um, for him or for you? Uh, for him. Oh, okay. uh, and, you know, for, for me, like, I don't I don't know. I Like, from childhood shows, you know, they definitely, Little House would be, like, way up there. Um, I, you know, I've seen, like, I would say I've seen all the episodes, but, again, I didn't watch them all necessarily when they were on uh, i've come to appreciate the show more as i've grown up uh, and watched you know different parts of it again that i, I see. maybe missed out on or forgot about <clears throat> were you a uh, nelly olsen fan <laughs> um she cracked me up you know i mean <laughs> she was so like mean <laughs> yeah yeah um, but, you know, I, I felt like she was a product of Harriet, her mother. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, she was pretty, uh, well, I don't know about mean. She was just kind of, I don't know, at <laughs> times uh, crazy, <laughs> I guess. She was, I think she had quite a bit of a mean streak, though, you know, an adult kind of way, because... You know, she would she would cheat or do you know different things to make, uh, you know, Nellie win or right, Willie. Yeah. You know, I mean, um, so she definitely was controlling, and you know, they both were like over the top, you know, hysterical emotionally. Right. Like. Yeah. Um, but I guess. Like, we did a poll in our group, um, you know, about if people loved Nellie or hated her or loved to hate her. And most people loved to hate her. Um, <laughs> there was hate, but, you know, nobody said that they loved her. Wow. Um, I know. Um, but they did love to hate her. So, you know, while she was, like, mean and, uh, you know, a villain in that way, um, she wasn't, like, a soprano villain. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Did you uh, Def- did you read any of the books? 
you know, I had the whole box set. Oh, um, wow. Did you now, actually did read I that? Read them? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I would like to say I'm more a collector of books. <laughs> yeah, I, I seem to remember you saying you don't like to read very much. Uh, and I did not at that time either. Uh, you know, I don't even remember, like, when I got the box set, someone must have bought it for me because, you know, in general, I also don't buy books. Right. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's like, <laughs> I write, love writing. I just don't like reading so much. <laughs> How do you know what you've written? <laughs> <laughs> well... <laughs> You know, nobody else would know, that's for sure. Because... <laughs> I wouldn't say that. I mean, you know, plenty of people have seen some of your plays performed and stuff. So, uh, you know, by extension, I guess, uh, they read your stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I, so typing, you know, like, uh, obviously, people should be able to read that. Although, you know, even at that, like, I'm a horrible at typing, too. I'm just telling, <laughs> like, all my bad points here, but... Um... <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. Your your handwriting is, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lots of uh, lines and circles and X's and... Yeah, so we also had a question about that in the group. Um, you know, if people write cursive or uh, if they print, and then someone added, like, a combination of both. And so I was like, yeah, that's, that's me. You know, I'm a combination writer. Um, maybe not of just cursive and, and print, but, you know, symbols and a sure, few other yeah. things. What about you? Um, I mean, I think I, I think I'm... Uh... Like, I, I think I write pretty well. I mean, my penmanship and that sort of thing. I mean, I spell yeah. stuff wrong or whatever, but, you know, I think everybody does. You have very good penmanship. Um, I don't know. I, I, I used to have better penmanship, but it makes a difference which pen I'm using, too. Because I have found a couple of pens that, you know, I write really well with. I know it's hard <laughs> to believe, but the magic pen. Yeah, something about the feel of it. I don't know, but you know, back to Nellie. And uh, did you like Nellie? I mean, did you think she was like cute or? Um, uh, I don't know. I mean, I like the show. Uh, you know. But then I sort of lost interest in it as they got older, I think. It just didn't appeal to me anymore. Or I was did, you, um, did you see when Nellie got married to Percival? No, I don't believe I did. Because she kind of like, you know, if you would have hung in there till the, you know, end, um, she gets married and, and she actually... You know, Percival straightens her right out because um, she's like being a brat to him. He's brought there to, like, so her, so her mom buys her uh, a restaurant, right? Uh, because she wants her to like get a man, and <laughs> this is the only way she feels like, you know, a husband uh, maybe is gonna, like, you know, because she has a restaurant, and, right? 
but uh, the restaurant, nobody, like, Nellie can't cook, the place is failing, and, you know, so they bring uh, Caroline in to cook and, like, try to make it work, but, so they bring in Percival, because, um, you know, Nels is going to shut the whole thing down, he's like, this is ridiculous, right? So they bring Percival in as a last-ditch effort to, um, you know, come in, evaluate, tell them what needs to be done. And, uh, you know, Nellie cracks eggs over his head. Percival is short. Um, he's shorter than Nellie. So she's always making, like, short jokes about him. And <laughs> she doesn't want to learn to cook when he's trying to help her. And she cracks eggs over his head and everything. Um but, you know, then he, like, finally just takes up for himself and tells her what's what. And he's like, you know, um, and furthermore, like, your mom wouldn't have had to buy a restaurant for you to get, um, you know, a husband because you're very pretty. Um, but, you know, you're awful and <laughs> all these <laughs> other things. But, I mean, that's all it took, like, when he said she was pretty. You know, she just changed, and then from there, she apologized, and she started learning to cook and do all the things, and yeah, so if you would have hung in there, you know, she did turn out to be okay. It's a frontier love story. Oh, I know, <laughs> and that is so good, because I did not even plan that, but you know, February's coming up, and uh, yeah, that's you know what true. that means. Yep. Yeah, so we have some great love stories coming up. Yeah. But on this episode, you know, um, we're going to hear about uh, Allison Argram and how she felt about playing a bad, you know, a, a mean girl. Um, I mean, do you, do you think, like, people hated her, like, off stage? I mean, I'm sure she got some... You know, because she plays the character, people tend to associate the actor with the character. I mean, and, you know, they think that that's the way that person is in real life. So I'm sure there was some, you know, some people who thought that she was mean or whatever, but I don't know that that's necessarily the case. Yeah, I'd be very curious to see, you know, if she was getting hate mail. Because at that time, you know, you had to write a letter to your... <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> so no email You could just then. get on social media, you know, and like uh, make your posts or whatever. So, yeah. yeah, it'd be interesting. I mean, so I'm fascinated by her. And, you know, she had those blonde curls and um, yeah. got some questions about those. And just a lot of things that are... You know, maybe she won't be mean to us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think she she has her own podcast, so I think she'll uh, cut us some slack if need be. Yeah, it probably is need be. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, let's uh, talk to Allison and uh, find out all about her uh, feelings about Nelly. All right, but if she's mean, I'm going to be like... Okay, back to you, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we'll see what happens. All right. Allison, I'm so excited to have you as our guest today on Backstory Sessions. Welcome. Mm -hmm. Thank you, thank you. 
Um, you know, I think you are the first, uh, like, OG mean girl that uh, again <laughs> the guest. So, uh, is it fun? I mean, I, I, I can imagine it might be, but, you know, what is it like playing um, the bad girl? Well, I mean, at the time, it was kind of amazing because back in the 19, 1974, we started the show, a lot of children's part, real, very sweet children, with the exception of, like, movies, like The Bad Seed, you didn't really have villain children on TV. I mean, right. even Margaret from Dennis the Menace was just kind of annoying. Um, so when I got to the audition, it was so bizarre. Cause I, you know, I'd read for the part of Laura and part of Mary and didn't get that. And, uh, and then they went to make the show, and I was like, the heck, how many people are on this thing? So I get there, and... I didn't. I hadn't read the book, so I was sort of clueless. And I get there, and indeed, it's this girl. I, I turned to my father. I said, "This is not a normal part. This girl's a total you know, bitch." And uh, <laughs> when I read it for him, he started laughing so hard. He said, "Don't change a thing. Don't rehearse it again. Don't even look at it. Just go in and do it like that." So I did, and I was hired. I mean, I was hired like on the spot. I was. That was it. I got. We got home. My agent was on the phone. Um, so it was so much fun because. As I said, as a child actor, usually you played very, very overly nice children. Yes, mother. It's like, oh, come on, nobody's that nice. And here I was playing this awful girl who just said whatever the hell she wanted. And it was really refreshing. And it was a lot of fun because it was it was more exciting. It's like, what am I going to do next? And uh, very relaxing because I could vent all my hostilities and everything. So I, I really enjoyed it. And, and as an adult, I've enjoyed a lot of the villain roles as well. Uh, so... Um... What so you started for the role of Laura, who's a yep. you know pretty different character. Uh, is that more of the character you saw yourself fitting into? Originally? No, no. In fact, when I read for those parts, I went, "I am completely wrong for this. I am so not a country girl. I am definitely the city child." So I was like, "Nelly's kind of perfect," and I, I absolutely say, "I'm probably not getting this all this country girl stuff." And sure enough, I, you know, Melissa Gilbert and Melissa Sue Anderson were hired, who were both brilliant at it. And um, I said, so they went ahead and showed the pilot, and I just kind of didn't give it a second thought. I thought, well, that's that, and was surprised that there was this character who was this, you know, antagonist. So um, I was really relieved. I don't. I think I would have been very bored if I had had to be Laura. Yeah, I, I, I think the casting turned out to be so phenomenal. Really, like everyone mm -hmm. seemed to fit into the part that they had. Brilliant, brilliant. I think that was one of the things why the show was a hit was the chemistry between the actors, which is so good. It was just amazing. So, how did you get along on the set? Um, you know, did you all have fights, um, or were you really friends uh, outside of the? Well, it was interesting because you know, it's a TV show, and. Um, Generally, you know, most people on TV shows don't really like each other at all. So you'll see these cast reunions and they can barely get them in the room together. Whereas <laughs> with Little House, I must have 14, 15 people on speed dial to this day. Um, I've always said the shows that where people liked each other were Gilligan's Island, The Waltons, and Little House on the Prairie. Um, so right away, the first day, Melissa Gilbert and I bonded, which was hilarious since we were playing Mortal Enemies. Um, and then I'd really say that Melissa Sue Anderson, who played Mary... I feel like that, you know, 
she, her mom was more protective, and I think she felt like Melissa Gilbert and I were kind of juvenile delinquents and may possibly have been right about that. But, <laughs> so she was more trying to be the good girl and you know, standoffish, whereas Melissa Gilbert and I were more likely to play pranks and hang out and have fun and have slumber parties at each other's house. But one of the things that was great about the show is we had so many kids on it. We had so many regular cast members. And then even the schoolroom, that group of 20, 30 kids – we kept the same kids for years. We didn't, and, and many of them were children of crew members. So it created a family atmosphere, and it meant that you had, instead of being a child as the only kid on a show, hanging out with a bunch of 40-year-old actors, we had a group of children that we could talk to and hang out with people their own age, which I think was very healthy. And, and of course, for the kids whose parents were crew members, you couldn't very well act up or get in much trouble when your dad is standing there doing the lighting, you know? <laughs> <laughs> You're totally under parental supervision all day. Um, what about your brother, Willie, on this show? Um, did you two get along well? I like him because you know, you, do, you know that Jonathan Gilbert uh, played Willie's Melissa Gilbert's brother. Yes. So Jonathan, so here Melissa has her real brothers playing my brother, which was great because she was kind of like, I don't really want a little brother. You can keep them. So I was like, I'll take him. <laughs> he was hilarious. Very, very, very smart little boy. And um, very unusual. Uh, he used to crack me up because he would say he wouldn't read the whole script. When he started the show, he couldn't even read. His mother would have to read him because he was so little. And then he, even long after he learned to read, he wouldn't read the rest of the script, just like his section. And I said, why on earth? What are you doing? He said, I want to be surprised when it comes on TV. It's very weird. Um, wow. He's one of the only people on the show who could ad-lib and get away with it. He was actually quite brilliant for his age. Interesting. Well, the character of Nellie, you know, she she um, does grow up and meet Percival. And that seems to be like a turning point for her. Um, how did you feel as as Nellie did develop and and to you know a woman? Well, and that was another thing that was unusual about Little House. Most you know TV shows or sitcom that kind of keep you, the kids try to keep them kids as long as possible, and and people would say, God, did they try to you know force you to still be like a? Little... I said no. On Little House, you hit puberty, they got you a husband. <laughs> um, they married us off. Like it was the eighteen hundreds. Um, so one by one, we all got married. And so Nellie. And it's interesting because at the time they didn't really know much about, like, say, the real Nellie Olson's history. She was just a character in the books that only goes as far as her adolescence, which is school with Laura. And even then that's made up because Laura actually based the character of Nellie on three different people. There's Nellie Owens and then Stella Gilbert and um, Genevieve Masters. And so these three people historically became one character in Laura's books. So... It's like, well, did Nellie get married? We don't know. I mean, in real life, she did. She married a guy named Henry Curry, but that was out in Oregon. So they went, well, what if what if we did marry her? What would that be like? And Michael wrote this hilarious script. We thought, what if she married this guy? And he wanted to do this whole thing. He even talked about it on The Tonight Show. And he said his parents, his mother was tall and blonde and kind of domineering, and his dad was short and Jewish. And this was sort of his crazy fantasy of what if his dad had, like, stood up to his mother. I mean, it was getting really like, okay, are we his therapist now? As apparently <laughs> we were. Um, so we did this incredible episode where Percival shows up and he tells Mrs. Bolton to shut up. It's, like, amazing. And I was so pleased they did that, that they didn't just say, well, we're going to eternally teenager you. I grew up. I got married. I had twins. I had a hotel. And yet keeping 
the character. And it was just, it was very, very clever because they had Laura grew up because they had the books that followed her life to adulthood. And then they had Mary. Grew, they just went, well, what do we do? These children are going to grow up and they're going to get married and they're going to have kids and they're going to like have actual lives. And I think that's part of the appeal of the show. It made it more real to people. It's like, well, they grew up and then they grew up and they got married like real people. Sure. And you, you seem to bond with the actor who played Percival, if I understand, that you became very close friends. Indeed, yeah. Because, well, people who play husband and wife on TV either adore each other or hate each other. It's like a running thing. People who wear it on TV never did, either don't get along or it's like Bob Newhart, Suzanne Blachette, they got along great. So we really got along. We hit it off right away and became friends outside the show. And uh, so we stayed friends after the show, which, of course, was very difficult because in the early 80s, uh, Steve got sick and he actually died of, of AIDS in 1986, which is very hard on Ian and all of his friends. And, sure. um, and you know, yesterday was World AIDS Day. And I was actually just at an event uh, and we're talking about him. And, and that was the thing is that um, that was a very scary time in 86. People weren't really going public with their diagnosis. And he did, which is very unusual. And that's when I started volunteering at AIDS Project Los Angeles and other places. When you first found out um, about this diagnosis, were you were you terrified then? Because you know, in in that time period, AIDS was very scary. And um... well, I knew that you didn't get VD off a doorknob, so I knew, like I went well. All the other stories about I caught it from a doorknob or toilet seat aren't true, so I don't think you know. Obviously, if this was airborne. Um, we would be seeing different numbers in different parts of the country, etc. It wouldn't work like that. You know, as, as someone once said, God, if it was spread by mosquitoes, everyone in Minnesota would be dead. Have you seen the mosquitoes there? <laughs> so it was clearly a, a blood-borne and sexually transmitted disease. So I knew I wasn't going to catch it from him, but I was devastated because in 1986, if someone was diagnosed with AIDS, they were given weeks or months to live. Right. And there was nothing. There was nothing at the time. We weren't even AZT. Nothing. And the other thing was, I when they said immune, uh, what I didn't know is, and I've learned so much about the human immune system since, was I said, well, wait a minute. I said, if if I have a cold and I sneeze on you, will you die? Is this like the boy in the plastic bubble? It attacks your immune system. So how much of an immune system do you have? And Steve was so knowledgeable. He'd worked with his doctor and found out absolutely everything. And he explained, well cell-mediated immunity versus humoral immunity. And I'm like, wait, what? So we're going to science class now. And explained, he said, oddly, he said, because of the way the immune system works, he said, those kind of diseases like a cold, I still have the immunity in the, the cells, the, <laughs> the humoral immunity, to throw that off. And he said, that's why people are dying of AIDS, of very obscure opportunistic infections, like pneumocystis, mm -hmm. like uh, the... the KF, the Kaposi sarcoma, and all of these unusual diseases, CMV, etc. And he said those kind of things. If he, I said if I catch something like that, like Toxo, I'm 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 dosed, I'm done for. He said, but I won't die from a cold. He said so. It's, it's all very bizarre. And so I learned so much then, and that's when I started, you know, taking the hotline classes and learning things so I could help other people. Well, it sounds like he was very brave, and uh, you know like using the knowledge that he learned about it to 
to try to educate. So that's that's really a, a testament to him as well. So um, what have you been able to accomplish since that point for AIDS? Well, back then, I mean, the hotline, had, you know, it just started. And um, they just started to actually have things. When they first started the hotline in, like, you know, the 83 and 84, they almost had nothing to tell people. It's like, where do I get tested? Oh, we don't have a test. Um, so by the time I got on there in 86, we could say, well, if you need to get tested for virus, we actually have testing locations. Um, we had a list of doctors who were willing to treat people with HIV. And the crazy part was we had to have a list of dentists. Because back then, there were only six dentists in all of Los Angeles who would let anyone who had AIDS in their office. Mm. Wow. And so we had those. And then we had a list of, tragically, we had a list of mortuaries. Because that back then, mortuaries and funeral homes were refusing to take the bodies of people who died of AIDS. And we had like four that we do. And so we had lists of various facilities and services that said, yes, we know that we're not actually going to get HIV that way. We take normal precautions. So, yes, we are seeing people with HIV that we could refer people to because so many medical facilities had simply said, we don't, we don't take people. And we had add referrals to the different doctors, and then we had a whole section on the different, like, drugs that people were on, like, well, this is the one. And some, I, I just been prescribed this. I don't know what it does. Well, according to here are notes. And they would call for medical information. Sometimes they just called we would have mothers call who had just lost their son and just needed someone to talk to and they couldn't talk to their families. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we fulfilled that role. And then <clears throat> I went on to do speaking engagements and the food bank and all that. And then I had a talk show actually in the eighties called, um, in the early nineties as well called AIDS vision, where we interviewed people about, uh, HIV and AIDS, about what was being done people who worked at the project. And then I started working with a group who started a, an organization called Tuesday's Child for families with children with HIV and AIDS because often there weren't services specifically targeted yet to to families with kids. They had children with AIDS at APLA, but they had counseling, but they didn't really have anything in the food bank or any specific services targeted to families. So we started an organization that did that, that had the baby formula, that had the diapers, that had the Christmas parties, that had the supplies for moms, families, and children specifically dealing with HIV and AIDS. And that was fascinating because it was shocking how many of them were totally ostracized by their families, a mother and child with AIDS, and she couldn't tell the child's grandparents. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, awful. But we, we helped a lot of people then. And I've seen the progress now. I mean, now there are drugs that keep people alive virtually indefinitely. There are drugs that people can take that can lower their viral load so they're not going to catch it or spread it to other people. It's very, very clever stuff that's finally, you know, happening. Um, but it was a really long haul, and it's still not curable, and there's still not a vaccine, and it's still going on. And, and there's still people, you know, who do die of AIDS in this country and then, of course, around the world where they can't access these things. Well, I would. Ha- do you think, um, Steve, if he could see the progress that's been made, do you, you, you think that he would be pleased with that? Oh, absolutely, because one of the things he did when he was sick, and I just said they were trying everything, he said, they said, well, we have a drug, we're, we're trying a bunch of drugs out, experimental drug trials. He said, sign me up, I don't care. And he was in this uh, drug trial, this interferon D or something, way, way back in the day. And it ultimately, it didn't work. Some of the things in that drug they tried 
were later the building blocks of the antivirals and the drugs they do use now that are saving people. So the experiment sort of kind of it was it did lead to other things. And that's what he said at the time when I said, well, is this going to help? He said, it's too late for me. But I'm letting them do this in the hopes they'll find a cure for someone after I'm gone. And technically, yes, the drug they had him on, they went, oop, that everybody didn't, you know, they, they lived a little longer, but it didn't work. But this is definitely attacking the virus in a good way. And it was one of the building blocks of the drugs I use today. Mm-hmm. Well, I, um, you know, the activism, I, I know um, that is so powerful to, to feel like that, that you are making a difference. And there's something in your next activism that I want to talk about with um, child abuse yeah. that I could not believe. So I, I guess you just are going to have to like make me understand how it could be. But as I understand, um, when you started out uh, on this quest of activism for, for child abuse uh, of so when it's been perfect, the perpetrator is a family member mm-hmm. that so many states did not have uh, laws to protect children if yeah. your abuser was a family member. Still do in, in many states. We were able to change law successfully in about seven, eight states, California, New York being, frankly, the worst defenders in this uh, we did north carolina but illinois but california new york of course being the most populous was affecting the most people what they had was a completely it sounds it sounds completely insane but seriously they did this i mean i i i actually had to carry a copy of the law in my purse because i go to talk to people they go that can't be right and i'd say here it is you can read it um it was an exception on the incest exception exception for familial offenders if uh, someone, a child molester, attacked the child next door, say under their state law, such a crime was punishable by 20 years. Okay. But if it was the parent or the aunt, the uncle, they even said like a family member living in the home, such so as someone who was like boarding there would count as family member, any relation at all to the child, they could, their lawyer could say, okay, my pl- my client is guilty. These are people were convicted. It isn't just like, well, did they do? These are people either convinced were actually already convicted of the crime instead of saying, well, right here on the books, it says that this particular offense is 20 years. They would say, oh, but it's a family member. Therefore, you're going to have deferred entry of judgment and you're going to serve no jail time. You're going to offer therapy instead, not in addition to, but instead of, so zero jail time, plus deferred entry of judgment, which means you don't have a record. Oh, wow. So someone could, and frankly did, uh, in many cases, sexually abuse multiple children, nieces or nephews, what have you, and they could turn around and become a school teacher, open a daycare center, whatever, <clears throat> the next day, because they had no record. They, they didn't have to become registered sex offenders, nothing. And so, I mean, if and the deal was they said, well, if you committed the same crime again, well, then we'll send you to jail. But by then, there you have another child becoming a victim that didn't need to be because they already knew what they were. And the crazy part is they actually had a guy, he did go to jail, but his case became sort of famous in legal circles because he argued when he got caught doing the exact same thing again to another poor child, he said, well, I don't have a record because the first time you let me have the exception, so it's every offense is still my first offense. 
And luckily, they did not believe him. They said, no, we're not going to go with that. You're, you're, you're definitely going to prison. But something like 40,000 people went free under this law over many years, in, in, just in California, wow. where they would plead out and say, I don't have to go to jail. And of course, many of them did not just sexually abuse people in their own family. Of course, they sexually abused people in the neighborhood and other children. Um, but the one they got caught for, say, was a stepchild or a niece or nephew, and they were able to completely avoid jail or a record because this was absolutely in writing in the law. And serious crimes. It wasn't like, well, the lesser offenses. It absolutely included multiple victims, continuous abuse, all the worst, worst offenses. And we were just astounded that this could be on the books and in so many places. And so we sent in experts in legislation and legal issues and worked with elected officials to write legislation and get it passed. And we got the law changed in North Carolina, Illinois, California, New York, <laughs> and like seven or eight places. And one of the nice things about it is not only we change like this egregious law, although there are some states that are still kind of sketchy, we changed the conversation a bit. It got such press coverage, and yes, I was on TV a lot talking about this, getting out there, that it kind of changed it. That now, when you hear people talk about abuse on the news and the media, it's it's it shifted a little bit. the The idea that somehow that you could get a pass, it doesn't sit well with people. People now talk about these things, and they were starting to talk more and more about abuse publicly in in the media when we started, much more than they had certainly when I was a girl. And now it has shifted. You see with the law, with changes to statute of limitations and allowing victims to come forward later and press charges, mm -hmm. that things are shifting. And the attitude of the courts and of the media towards the abuse of children, well, the attitudes towards people trafficking in child abuse images, child pornography, has changed. Right. You don't hear people joking about it, letting it slide and calling it kiddie porn now. It's taken very, very seriously. And I think that that was a real nice shift towards thinking about the victims as human beings, which I don't think really was um, the case before. Wow. You know, I mean, that's just my, I can't even wrap my mind around what you, what you said. Oh, but... and if you had been in Sacramento and heard like the completely insane things <laughs> that some of the elected officials were saying to us about why this law was okay, we were just sitting with our mouths hanging open, our whole team going, <laughs> you didn't really just say <laughs> And, but it was amazing. I think, well, you know how it is, everything comes down to money eventually. And yeah. there were people who just felt, well, what a great way an attorney could make money. He could say, well, I'm not going to have to go to work and actually defend my client. I'll just have my client plead guilty, and he doesn't go to jail. Yeah. What savings? <laughs> he still gets paid. <laughs> and then there were prosecutors who said, I don't have to try the person. I don't have to prosecute them. I'll just let them go and say, if you plead guilty, you go free. And then I have a 100% conviction rate. Nobody went to jail. Wow. That's crazy. And that was, there were people who said oh, that that was a good idea. Luckily, we found enough people who said, no, that's a terrible idea. We've even found, not only do we find prosecutors who said, no, that's a bad idea. We found defense lawyers who said, this law is a terrible idea. Yeah. <laughs> and said, no, we shouldn't do this. 
Well, at least there's some hope for humanity that uh, people have goals. And- <laughs> I tell you, we were in Sacramento, and they were saying, no, no, this is a great law. We're totally keeping it. We went, really? <laughs> we were sort of horrified. Because, um, I mean, Arkansas, Arkansas changed their law before California. Arkansas modernized their child abuse laws before California. Wow. <laughs> so we're like, really? You're you're behind Arkansas? <laughs> 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 Is that where you really want to be? Um, but I, I can say, thank heavens it did. And and such a shift in just how people even talk about victims and survivors is it's a pleasure to see. Did you did you see yourself going in the way of the activists? I mean, I know you know some of this was brought about by uh, friends of yours who um, like you know, we're dealing with different things and, but did you see yourself being sort of, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't want to say the face of or a spokesperson or whatever, but I mean, did you see things going that way when you started out? I don't think so. I think I, I had always done things for charity and stuff. When I was very young and I was on Little House, it was popular to go to events, you know, Toys for Talks. Right, yeah. All the telethons. Oh, gosh, the Special Olympics. I love Special Olympics. And I would always go to all these things. And, and you know, a lot of the actors would just kind of go. Right. And then that would be it. But I would go, and, and I'd actually like it and say, when are we going again? Hmm. Some people, they go to Special Olympics, they'd spend a couple of hours. I'd spend the whole weekend. And get involved in these things and I thought how marvelous that because I'm on TV yeah. they're saying I can do public service messages or go in this and this can actually help people I have this ability just by showing up I can bring attention to this cause raise money for this charity right. and help people I, wow what a freebie and so when the time came it's like well we're doing some AIDS but you can do PSAs, you can do television interviews and talk about these things. I said, fine, sign me up. Hmm. And um, that's just how I felt about these things ever since. That's awesome. Um, did you find that people, when you were younger and you were still on Little House or even shortly thereafter, um, did you find that people reacted to you in a certain way, like, you know, the, you were the mean girl on Little House and... Um, did they treat you that way, like the character <laughs> versus the person? I think still. Um, <laughs> and, um, I still, it's still, still. I have my friends. So we'll meet people, and they'll find out their friends, and they're like, oh, "God, you're friends with her." I mean, what's that like? <laughs> and um, my husband says it's good. He gets sympathy. People offer to buy him a drink. So it is weird. There are. I do occasionally still meet people who are still afraid of me. Um, and it's great. You usually aren't really mean to me. You're usually kind of terrified. Yeah. Which, yeah. <laughs> which I get. Um, as a teenager, it was kind of, on one hand, it was kind of good because I was a little shy mm-hmm. as a teenager. So it was like, okay, well, they're all afraid of me. So if I go into a party, everybody kind of backs up and gives me my space until I can get used to the room. Right. Um, so that sort of worked. And it was weird, though. I could only absolutely, I could only date people who had not watched the show. <laughs> It was just too weird. They'd watch it. They didn't want to date me, or they were some kind of weirdo. So, <laughs> date or marry someone who like never watched Little House. Um, but it was very, is very, is still very strange. There are still people who don't know quite how to react um, because they've seen the show. So I, I did a play, and the guy I was co-starring with 
had been a huge fan. He'd grown up watching. He was very young, and he said when he was little, he was terrified of me when he was like eight years old. <laughs> to come to my house and beat me up, and so we actually had to sit down at like the you know a party before we did the show so he could actually meet me and talk to me because he said, I, my brain is saying I should run away because they're here. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, we became huge friends after that. But um, I have had people behave very strangely, yes, who like friends. It's quite, it's quite, it's funny now, but oh my God, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, all right, Kat, we have to let Allison go, but do you have one more question? Oh, I was just going to ask, what's next? for you, Allison. Well, I got a show coming up because um, I'm, I'm doing, you know, I do in-person shows, I do live shows, and then I do online shows. Um, of course, I just said every Tuesday at 5, I have the Allison Arkham show and UBN Go and Facebook, but uh, coming up on um, Friday, December 16th, I'm doing a comedy show, but it's all online. You can go to stageit.com and buy a ticket. Uh, to Naughty Nelly's Nasty, Nasty Nelly's Naughty Noel. And um, it's basically it's my stand-up routine, but like on the Christmas theme. And I'm in my living room, and you can watch it from your living room. It's live. It's totally crazy. And the people log in. I'll be taking audience questions. I'll have people like submit questions before. And um, I will be doing a live show literally in my living room on um, December 16th. That's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I would have to say for our um, first OG Mean Girl, I think you're pretty terrific. So, no, thank you. That's very nice of you. Thank you. It's been amazing to have you as a guest, and I hope you'll come back. Oh, thank you. You get free. Invite me again. Sure. <laughs> we will definitely okay. do that. All right. So, uh, th again, thanks for being on, and uh, we hope to talk to you soon. And um, we'll, cool. we'll let you go and get on with your day. So, uh, thanks again. All right. Well, thank you so much. You guys have a good day, and get and get well. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Take care. Thanks. Bye. All right. As always, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, you can send those to Kat at iWritePlays at Outlook.com or you can write to me at BackstoryChessings at gmail.com or Matt at Level11Ventures.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.